Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's Drive-by Cinema, Season 3, Episode 4. And I'm here with my co-host, Paul. Hello, Richard. This is my co-host, Richard, and we are Drive-by Cinema, taking you to the movies so we watch them so you don't have to if you don't really want to. I've always thought of it as driving by. It's like yeah, driving I think we need to change this name, actually. We can't change the name. It's a bit aggressive, isn't it? We're shooting movies down dead. I don't really like that. We're not idea. shooting the movies down, Paul. We're driving We're spattering past. Spattering them what? With, with, with Uzi, Uzi-oriented bullets? Criticism. We're driving past. We're driving past a drive through cinema. We're not paying. We, oh. we try not to pay, let's face it. And we're watching as much of the film as we dare as we drive past. Ah. And we're passing judgment on them. And we're, con- we're consoling ourselves with the fact that we don't have to go into it. Have you ever been to a drive-in cinema? Interlopers to the party, so to speak. That's the sense of it. With those people on YouTube that break into sort of O2 Brit Award events by climbing through the service hatch. Yes. Now, Paul. Have I ever been one? Have, have I ever been one? Have you ever been to a drive-in cinema? No. I was going to do well, during not, COVID, but I thought, they're really shit choices. Only one choice of movie. I was going to say that they're not, not very popular, or never were very popular in Britain, presumably partly because of the weather. Presumably because we don't have the car parking space to put 12 screens on. Yeah, also that. And as you say, you know, the experience can't be that good. Watching through your dirty windscreen... Uh, my, oh, but it is in the States, is. isn't it? Because they've got little they've got little loudspeakers next to each parking bay. Oh, that was 50 years ago, Paul. I think these days you tune your stereo in to oh. a particular radio frequency, wow. don't you? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works now. Even so, though, listening to a film on your car stereo, it's not ideal, is it? All right, all right, calm down. All right. I'd like, I'd like to try it for the experience. There was one that opened in Manchester around COVID time, as you said. Now, Paul, you're about to ask me, I think, about mistakes and errors from previous week. Yeah. And the fact that you don't know about the mistake from last week... Oh, we're playing Rumpelstiltskin again, are we? It proves to me that you don't ever listen or download the podcast, really. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, Willis? Because I... What are you talking about, Willis? What are you talking about, Willis? Wouldn't it be nice if what you're talking about, Willis, was like set in the south, south of London? What are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Go on. People have no idea what you're referring to. Yeah, what are you talking about, Paul? <laughs> Paul. Yes. Last week, I accidentally uploaded the wrong file. Oh, fuck. And consequently... Everybody heard either a sex act or... <laughs> no, they just heard your half of the conversation. Ah. And not me at all. That's lovely. This was pointed out to me independently by listener Adam and listener Pete. Had you actually done the mix? I'd done the mix. He's lying. He hadn't done it. Uh, I fixed it within an hour. Uh, and then an hour of publishing time, I'd fix the problem. But if you did... That would have been a Milky Bar Kid kind of fast on the draw mix if you got that mix back out in an hour, having not done it. So I'm going to have to believe him and say that it was a genuine mistake. Go on, Rich, carry on. 
if you did download last week's episode, I didn't download last week's episode. I'm a few behind. I'm not talking to you now. I'm talking to I'm talking to the listener. I'm sorry. Who was wondering right, why? Me. Why last week's episode was very? I didn't make any heavy. mistakes. Don't get ratty with me. <laughs> Go on. God damn. It was a test, listeners. Everybody in the world got it. Okay, it was a test to see how you deal with me being an omnipotent god. Okay. Look, it's important, though, that on your podcast app, you probably have to press the refresh button to get a new RSS feed download. I see. So, sorry for that. I don't know how I made that mistake, because I took steps when this happened the first time to avoid it by having a special directory of final versions and calling everything final. Richard, it's, um, without without the delving into personal things, Richard is very slapdash in his file naming convention, doesn't follow IT industry standards. How dare you? <laughs> his underscores like come at different places depending on the number of digits he's got in front or behind them. He doesn't have, I don't know what you call them, the empty vessel digits, the extra zero. What do you call those? Paul, IT is my job. I don't need to do it in my spare time as what, well. What do you call the zeros you put in extra to account for millennial moments? What, zero padding? Oh, zero padding. See, he knows. He knows what zero padding is. Yeah, uh, leading just, zeros. He just yeah. doesn't use it. Anyway, Adam also told me about that chap who I mentioned yeah, go on. went up the hill and just died on the, you know, by the side of the walking path. His name was David Litton. He, he did. He died in December two thousand and fifteen. Where? Uh, South Pennines. Oh, heck. Saddleworth Moor. Saddleworth Moor. Saddleworth. Well, that's not really Pennines, is it? That's Manchester Mountains. Manchester Mountains, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, see, I wasn't making it up. It was real. Well, actually, um, this weekend I got stuck up a mountain. You did mention. That. Oh, it's Hell Valley. Was- yeah. They told me it was an easy climb. Really pops off the page. Um, I found out from where it's one of the more difficult climbs in the whole of the Lake District. So, particularly the way I came down it, which was on a sheer scramble face. Apparently, only experienced rock climbers should attempt. But there we go. Wow. Well, there you go. Ignorance was your Ignorance, army, yeah. Wasn't it? Oh dear, it was my army. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but can I just say I couldn't really walk for a day and a half afterwards. So that's the difference between overweight. People that go up a mountain and, you know, real rock climbers. That was your long weekend activity, was it? Mm-hmm. Climbing Helvellyn and getting lost. Yeah. Well, very interesting. I'll tell you what I did. I go on. went mini-golfing oh, in, fucker. in Dino Falls. Where's Dino Falls? It's near the traffic centre. Yeah, so there was a load of animatronic dinosaurs, and we had two rounds of mini golf. A lot of animatronic dinosaurs watching you do bad putts, basically. Yeah, yeah. Nodding slowly <laughs> as they pretend to eat grass, or their heads move towards grass, but stop 12 inches off it. The best hole was the one where you had to hit it, your ball deliberately into a river. I was going to say, you hit the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex and anger him, but no. Got the ball got carried downstream, down the El San River, and it comes out of a little hole, and if you get it perfectly right, as I did, it goes straight into the hole. You show off. Well, it was my only hole in one. Hole. And did you head for the watering hole afterwards yourselves? 
No, we didn't. We went oh. to Slim Chickens, which is the chicken restaurant. Legendary, really oh. the freshest chicken in Manchester, I would say. Pete also caught things that no one else could have caught because I cut it out of the final edit oh, that you said last week. Oh, no. Which included your claim that Jaeger means yacht. No, it means huntsman. Jaeger means hunter. We established No, that. no, no. Jaeger means uh, hunter in German, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Except they wouldn't say hunter, would they? They'd say Jaeger. It's a Jaeger. So when you say Jaeger means hunter in German, you don't mean that, do you? You mean German oh, Jaeger off. means hunter. He's going to tell me Frankenstein is that show should be called Dr. Frankenstein next. <laughs> yeah, Frankenstein is the scientist, not the monster. <laughs> yes, we know that. But by convention, we can... You're going to tell me that Orwellian should not be used in the way that it's used. No, I'm done, Paul. Uh, is, I was going. Is your pedanticism I, done for the day? Well, I thought... I didn't treat since you, since you got lost up a hill without a cell phone connection... I did, yeah. And, and you were That's told... Just shout about or celebrate. And I'm not quite sure why you're telling everybody on the... Well, since on, you were... web stream right now. ...that you should have had a real GPS device with you. I thought we might revisit a conversation we had heard. No, 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 no. I was told oh, post-event that I should, have, I should have had a real GPS device if I didn't have a, a compass and a map. But I did have a compass and a map. I just lost the map whilst I was celebrating <laughs> at the, the top of Hell Valley. Away. I was waving my hands around and it got blown away down the mountain for everybody to see. It was really embarrassing. Oh, dear. Well, in, in which case I'm not going... To go into GPS go this on. week, maybe another no, go time. On. Oh, well, no, I think it'll take a good half an hour. But so. my phone does have GPS. Yeah, I just run out of, of battery because I didn't. Of course, I didn't take yeah. a power bank up there. Power bank, it's survival one hundred and one, Paul. How are you going to charge your? My phone? phone would have lasted if I hadn't had Strava on. I didn't realise that Strava was so energy thirsty with the with the screen off because it's constantly monitoring your footsteps. Hey, you know you can sign up to these services, which. They give you like challenges, walking challenges to do. And as you complete milestones, they send you kind of medals. No, I've seen those beautiful medals. But it's just an extension of the patches you can put on your rucksack, which are still really beautiful. I got excited recently, though, about Velcro flag patches. Because you can get loads of different types. They're little Velcro patches of flags that if you were in the military, you'd put them on your your arm here. But you can get loads of different Like school colours, but better. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, this is it. You can get a Lord of the Rings one where you walk to Mordor from the Shire. But you've got to find and you, Gandalf and he's got to let you You've got pass. to find Gandalf. You've got to take the ring and t- chuck it into the... So there's got to be some role play involved, I think, to win, though, because they're really <laughs> chunky medals. <laughs> well, you, they should I've seen be. those. I don't, they're, they're, I don't know how much they're spending advertising, but they're all over the internet at the moment. So, so yeah. Well, I think, you know, like, crazy golf or crazy putting, whatever you call it, would have been the better option for the weekend, I was told. That's Less death-defying. Anyway, Paul, yeah. we must continue and listen for the music. Which is coming right now. Candyman. 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 Oh, we said it five times. Healthy. <laughs> Okay. It's okay we're not looking in a mirror. I'm not looking in a mirror. Unless your camera view is mirrored. Maybe that counts as a mirror. Oh, I, wasn't, I wasn't looking at it, thankfully. 
Yeah, wow. Okay, so Candyman, and I'm not sure when it was made, this year or last, I can't remember. 2021. Oh, last year, okay. With a very famous writer. Well, I think in the last few weeks I've been attributing Candyman to Jordan Peele. He did write it. He, he was one of the writers, and I think he was attached to direct it, and he produced it. Did he? But in the end, it was actually directed by Nia DaCosta. I think Jordan Peele had a conflict of, you know, scheduling or whatever. He couldn't do it in the end. Uh, now, Nia DaCosta, I guess, not as famous maybe as Jordan Peele, but she has done some episodes of Top Boy. Really? She's a quite well-regarded ser- series. And, yeah, so... This is a sequel to the original Candyman, but there's been about three or four Candyman films. Not all of them, to be honest, cinema releases. Some of them have gone direct, <laughs> direct to video. This is a sequel. Streaming services. Ah, it's not a reboot. Yeah, I th- also thought it was a reboot, but it really is a sequel, and it's set in Chicago, as was the original movie, I think. And in the very opening scene of the movie, a young kid. Is going to do Named laundry Billy. in a top loader. Very popular in the US, top loading washing machines, aren't they? Anyway, so he goes down, and it's really atmospheric. This uh, this communal laundry because they're in the projects, and everything's really communal and feels very late seventies, a bit washed out, but somehow quite special. You know, people are hanging around, around outside and they're not selling drugs. Okay. So it's like still the 70s, it's not the 80s. And he goes in there and the fluorescent lighting's on a five-minute timer kind of thing. He has to put the timer on. It's all very atmospheric. It's very much like the 70s where I'd imagine in Chicago, in the projects, late 70s, yeah. And he sees a hole in a breeze block wall. And as he's passing by and looking at this darkened hole, a sweet gets thrown out through the hole and lands on the floor. Yeah. And as he sort of looks down, I think he might bend down to pick it up, possibly. A hook-handed guy, a guy with a hook for a hand, steps out ominously of the hole. (laughs) And meanwhile, we cut back to outside where there are some Chicago cops. So apparently, in the 70s, cops in Chicago wore a very homoerotic combination of a black leather jacket did they? With, with a peaked cap. What do you mean, did they? That's what's in this film, Paul. That's what's being depicted. It must be true. It must be true. They hear a scream inside the buildings and they run inside. I think you assume that something's happened to the kid, but we learn later that may not be true. Cut now to new modern Chicago. With tall buildings Glass and steel skyscrapers. All replacing us, as we later find out, the the projects that uh, that we we were we're seeing in the earlier in the early in the earlier part of the movie. Yes, because this film is heavily signposted as a sort of discussion or allegory about gentrification. Yes, mm-hmm. gentrification. I mean, so much so that the first scene in the modern era is a dinner party with a bit of awkward race politics because it's uh, a black woman and her brother and her husband and the brother's boyfriend. White boyfriend. white guy. And the white guy, they're talking about, you know, 
white people sort of gentrifying the area, you know, getting rid of the, the projects as you're describing and building all these new buildings and stuff and, and how it was, you know, another form of the kind of oppression. And it's a bit awkward, really, awkward dinner party conversation for an otherwise very convivial atmosphere, isn't it? That's right. Okay, so the uh, black guy uh, is Troy, and he's got a white boyfriend called Grady. Okay. Uh, and his sister, the black guy's sister, is called... Brianna. Brianna, thank she... you. Brianna. And her husband is an artist, a pretty talented artist, called Anthony. Anthony, Anthony. McCoy. Yeah. What is gentrification, by the way, Paul? Well, Anthony, you know, because at some point, the white art critic, who's been really, really dismissive of his work, whilst he's showing in a gentrified art gallery in the middle of what it was, the projects, uh, while he's showing his work about, you know, black oppression uh, and the voice of black oppression, Um, you know, she says, well, you're part of the gentrification's problem also. Uh, You know, the only reason you're here is so you can get cheap rent so you don't have to work a full-time job like the rest of us. Okay. And then she walks away. Uh, and later on, of course, <laughs> uh, his his work becomes famous for the reasons involved in the movie. And suddenly she likes his work. Before she said it was a didactic set of cliches lecturing us on uh, on gentrification, uh, which I thought was quite good. They did some good parodies of art, art will talk actually in this, in this movie. And it's quite low key. It was never played for laughs, but it was actually quite funny. But later on, he comes back and says, you know, you said gentrification's this. I mean, it's not, you know, they, the developers knock these places down and they scream to people like me, hey, come and leave here. Uh, and if you manage it for two or three years, we'll throw in a, fr- a whole food supermarket free of, ch- free of charge you know he was saying you know it's a mass we're just you know your idea that it's it's young artists and young young educated white people gentrifying the communities and move in is he said that's just utter nonsense these are tiny cogs in a much much bigger wheel so so yeah they do address it directly and also implicitly and also obliquely throughout the movie in fact it's it's just the major theme of the movie isn't it but what is it what is gentrification how would you define it well, they seem to be at loggerheads and disagreements as to what it is, you know. I suppose it's the it's the upscaling of an of an environment so that people on lower incomes can no longer afford to live there in the way that they did. Is that not if there's rent controls? They can, you see. So if there's rent controls; they can afford to carry on living there, can't they? You see. So I mean, I think what some of the black, uh, some of the, the main black uh, characters in the movie were saying was like, it's not just white people with money moving in, or white people without money moving in, and you know, buying cereals at the cereal store or whatever they do, you know, hipsters do when they're young and without money. Uh, it's not just about you know a different demographic coming in. Uh, I think their point was that you know it's intentional. The police don't come in. They mentioned something about the police never come in, and then they did come in, kind of thing, but only to watch us move out. So it's it's studied mismanagement. So I don't know. So that was their that was their take on gentrification. I'm not sure it's an accurate one. I mean, this is for the purposes of a horror movie. But I don't know. In reality, what's gentrification? I don't know. What's your take on it, Richard? What do you think it is? Well, it feels a little bit like the conversations we had about that other classic movie, Newtown Utopia, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've got an area of housing that's low quality, ultimately, 
what is the fate of that area? Surely it's got to be improving it. And that's got to mean mm-hmm. knocking it down and building better housing. And one way or another, that's surely going to mean that it's less affordable. As you say, perhaps a way of averting that is making it, uh, you know, um, council housing, state-owned housing. Or rent or control. rent control, perhaps. But ultimately... Or you've got you know, to hope that maybe some of those local people have bought some of the houses before, you know, have had faith in the community and, you know, maybe tried to buy a small part of that, the housing. If the prices are really deflated, it should be possible. And held on to them as the property prices have increased. You know. But it's not just the housing, is it? It's also, you know, if you can't afford to go to the supermarket because it's waitrose, not, yeah. not little, you know, if, if, if you have to have a car because the public transport isn't there and you have to go to the nearest GP and it's too far away, then all of these things subtly price people out of the living in an area. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. The question is whether, I think, the question here in this movie's pose is whether it's intentional, whether it's a subtext, right. you know, mm. whether it's a subtle institutional or inherent mechanism whether it's a combination of factors that just happen to occur at the same time, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think here they're posting the idea that, you know, the developers come in with these smash and grab ideas. And once the developers have, you know, put the new places, then they actively try to discourage people from staying where they are, from, you know, moving them out elsewhere. So... By the way, have you seen the original Candyman? I have, but I do, I really don't remember it. Don't remember it, yeah, mm. yeah. It's the kind of thing I might have watched late night on TV, on a TV channel one time, but didn't pay much attention. I'm fairly sure it wasn't quite this deep <laughs> in terms of addressing social issues. No, it was just a shocker. Yeah. So, and it was quite it was point, quite small budget. I think it was a, it was back in the day money of two or three million, and it made about eight or nine million at the box office. So, so yeah, it's it comes from a story by Clive Barker, ah, the British horror writer. Does it? I'm pretty sure uh, in this in this version of the movie, one of the characters is reading a Clive Barker book, Weave World, I think during. One of the scenes, and I think that's kind of a, an homage to him. Wow. But at one point during the dinner party, they have a moment where they tell ghost stories. I think, it, is it Troy tells a story about Helen and Cabrini Green, which is a kind of retelling of a candy, candy man kind of story. Well, it's Candyman from, 1, isn't it? You know, done in five minutes, basically. I think so, yeah. Again, I'm not that familiar with the original, so I wouldn't swear to it. There were some nice little segues here because Billy, the kid from the seventies, he's playing with uh, shadow puppets, little shadow puppets, yeah. And then this retelling, uh, this rehashing, done, yeah. is done with really elegant, slightly scarily kind of created shadow puppets too, yeah. Which must have saved a hell of a lot of money, also if you think about it. Now, there's a bit of a podcast link here as well because obviously they're telling ghost stories. The director near. She ha- has also been a producer of a podcast called Ghost Tapes. Really? And there's a moment actually later on where Anthony 
goes to a library and researches some stuff, and you and you wind up hearing a bit of a podcast that presumably you listen to, which again is another bit of the mythology of the story being told in podcast form. I think the actress in that bit was one of the originals in the original film. Wow. So that's too much knowledge for Go on, sorry. <laughs> well. Anthony, the artist, is looking for inspiration, isn't he? Because I think he's having trouble. Yeah, he's got a bit of a block going on there. So this Cabrini Green story about this murderer, Helen, like, piques his interest. And he sets off on a, you know, Pokemon quest to find out the architecture, the remaining architecture, because it's all been knocked down. Well, it hasn't all been knocked down. No, it hasn't all. So to find out the remaining architecture linked with, you know, what happened with Helen. Helen Tate, is it Helen... Lyle? Wynn? Wyatt? I can't remember. Helen Lyle. Lyle, I think. Helen Lyle. Lyle, I think that's Helen Lyle. Lyle and Tate. That's why I'm getting confused. The sugar. Okay. (laughs) Helen Lyle. Okay. Uh, And, you know, what happened in Candyman 1, so to speak. So he heads off, you know, on the municipal public transport and heads out into the the urban diaspora. He finds the row houses, which is what they were called, which is, again... Apart from it being the opening of this film, I think it was also used as a setting in the original Candyman film, ah. according to the stuff that I read. I thought this looked quite nice, this area, actually. I mean, the, the, the projects, generally, they're not badly constructed. You know, like the 60s tower blocks in the UK were often, what made them ineffective was they were shoddily built and, and, and skimped on in terms of investment. The poor materials. The projects generally were, were really well built and quite often intelligently designed. The problem with the projects was crack. I mean, huh? But you might say, did developers, you know, and did government endemically, conspiratorially allow crack and crime and windows to be broken, and allow crack to occur because they knew in thirty years' time they could buy the stuff up cheap and build on it? You see. That seems like a level of planning beyond beyond developers, yeah, yeah. beyond most most so called Machiavellian evil people. I don't know. Anyway, sorry, yeah, but the projects do look nice, yeah. And there's high rise bits of the project which have all been knocked down, and the row houses or terrace houses we call them here in the UK remain. Yeah, they look pretty good. But whilst he's walking around, he's taking pictures. He's a he's an artist, isn't he? He's going to draw or paint. He's going to copy later. his photos, yeah. But he gets stung by a bee. He does. And this is one of those movie moments where you know this is more significant than it might otherwise Very be. hellishly significant. Because uh, he knocks the bee to the ground. Well, the bee dies, doesn't it? Because bees and then gets generally taken die away by sting. ants. The colour of which black might or might not be significant. I don't know. Well, there's an explicit racial commentary here, isn't there? There's explicit. There's. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think Candyman always was. Was it? I don't know. I think that was a level, I think, of social commentary it always had. But, you know, in a sense, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Mm. So there's a bunch of graffiti on the wall, looks ominous. And here he meets a guy called William, mm-hmm. the long version of Bill, of course, who tells him about the woman, um, it tells him the woman in question, Helen, of the story, was looking for Candyman. The Candyman was called Sherman, I think. And the story is that he used to put razor blades in Halloween candy. 
That's right. She's a kind of famous urban legend, isn't it? Yeah. But he had a hook for one hand. A hook for a hand. And he says, I met him. I met the guy. I met him. And it turns out that William is the kid from the start of the movie. Yes. And we get another flashback where he wasn't killed by the Candyman or anything. The police came in. And much scarier than the guy with the hook, all these police in black leather jackets and peak caps rush down into the laundry and they attack or beat up or shoot and kill, I presume. That's this true. guy, Sherman, the hook-handed guy. So the guy didn't hurt William. He just gave him candy. Yeah. But do we find out at this point how... No, we don't find out the real backstory to the Candyman about, you know, how... We find out much later the significance of the bees and all that kind of stuff. What we know is that even after they killed that guy with a hook, the razor blades in the candy continued, so it couldn't have been him. So it couldn't have been him. The guy that Bill, ran, Bill now William, ran away from in the laundry wasn't the real candy man. Interestingly, William now works in a laundry. So there's all these kind of like cyclical echoes of the past here, isn't there, going on? Well, Anthony is inspired by all of this story and mystery. Who wouldn't be? So he goes home and he paints like a crazy possessed person. Uh, He's filled, overflowing with creativity. But his wife is angry about something. She's receiving a smartphone call. She drops her smartphone on the marble countertop in anger. And I thought, you didn't notice that. Some people are really careless with their smartphones. You know, I very rarely have smashed the screen of my smartphone. But a lot of people I know seem to spend, I don't know, 80% of their lives walking around. Show me your smartphone, Paul. With a a smashed screen. Is it smashed? What what the hell is that? That's shattered. Yeah, shattered. (laughs) How, How did you manage that? What do you do with it? It's got a rubber case on, too. See, look at that. Oh, uh, perfect. How are we doing anyway? We, what have we got up to? Okay, so he's 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 firing the artist, uh, Anthony. He's firing on all cylinders. Okay, his wife smashed her phone. I don't know how this is related to anything. She didn't smash it. I, I think it survived. I'm oh. just saying, don't drop your smartphone oh. on a marble countertop. But for anything else, you don't hang up a smartphone, do you? Like an ordinary phone, you don't put it down on the receiver when you're angry. But you just press the button. No, you don't. That's it. You're right. That's it. Anyway, he shows his wife his work. Who's also his agent, it turns out. And he, he explains a legend that he's heard, which is that if you say his name five, five times, times while looking in the mirror... Candyman. Candyman. Candyman is summoned. Yeah. Now, she doesn't really like his work. She's like, well, it's a bit violent and it's a bit too obvious. Yeah, She wanted something more subtle, I think. But she goes along with it. I think she's happy, the fact that he's now producing art. Anyway, she is happy. And they're fooling around. He's saying, come on, let's he, say Candyman, whilst he's kissing her kind of thing. She's that's like, right. No, I don't and want to do that. none of it. No. And luckily, they don't say it. So, if you heard, Paul, as you have, that saying Candyman five times while looking in her would summon the Candyman, would you be too superstitious to say it? Or would you say it out of morbid curiosity anyway, or just to prove that it's bullshit? What do you mean? Would you would you do it? Would you look in the mirror? Of course I'd do it. Of course you'd do it. Yes, me, me too. I did it last night, actually. 
Even though it's clearly nonsense. Yes. And they made it up and all that stuff. You might say the fact that I need to do it improves that in some sort of way. I do believe it. You, know? <laughs> you respect I'm not it. Free, I'm not free of, you know, disproving gods and that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so, yeah. The fully mature cynic would just ignore all this completely, wouldn't it? That's quite right. Very well observed. But, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's like a big red button, isn't it? In that you can't not press a big red button. Precisely. You cannot not do it. Particularly when it says, do not press me. Exactly. And that, that's a very clever thing about this film and its concept, is that it's completely believable that, you know, 80% of people would just do it. And I think almost all of them at some stage do. I think Troy and his boyfriend maybe say it, but they get away with it. Uh-huh. Um, but his wife is the only one who sort of flat out refuses, and everyone else just will, will just say it deliberately or see what happens or because they want something bad to happen. Although she does say it in the end, doesn't it? But that's a bit of a spoiler. Anyway, now, it turns up, it turns around, though it comes to the point, I'll just say this. It's his exhibition. Exhibition. And he he's done something great for the exhibition, in the case he produced it called Say My Name, based on saying the Candyman's name. And it's it's a it's a non-visual installation involving a mirror that doesn't appear to be anything. But actually, when you open the mirror, it's like a, it's like a shaving mirror. Okay, it's a bathroom cabinet, isn't it? Bathroom and cabinet. Inside, inside, there's a whole world world of you know gruesome art to be discovered. Okay, so it's better than all it looks. It's not just a piece of modern art saying I'm a mirror. Am I a mirror? Okay, there's actually some art inside there. But you've got to you've got to interact with the art and explore it to find out the art inside it. Okay, he's very excited, but guess what? The public ignore it. And crucially, art critic Finley Stevens, who kind of is like a nemesis figure to him for about ten or fifteen minutes of the movie, uh, she just doesn't like it at all. And she's not impressed. She no. says, you know, it's pedagogic, pedagog, pedagogic, pedagogic lecturing bullshit, you know, cliches, and she doesn't like it whatsoever. Critics are very hard to impress, aren't they? They are, yeah, but they do see a lot of crap art. So. <laughs> Now, his bee sting is oddly not healing and it's noticed by his wife, roughly. Yeah. And then there's a row in the gallery. Now, galleries, it seems to me, are highly charged places that are often rows and falling outs and upset in galleries. Well, it's the perfect place ever, to put a show on, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever experienced emotional upset in, in a gallery? Or am I making you think of, uh, of a boring gallery that you've been to? <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you the weirdest thing that happened to me in a gallery was that some you kind had of sex launch behind the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it would be difficult to have sex behind the Mona Lisa because it's a very busy it, yeah, part yeah. of the Louvre. What? <laughs> well, some woman was throwing paint at it the other week, wasn't she? <laughs> no, I was at a, a quite a small gallery, a launch party. And in this party, there was. A gentleman who I think was Spanish in origin, I think. It's difficult to tell for reasons that will become apparent. And he said that... What heuristics were you basing his Spanishness on? His, his accent. Oh, his hisuteness and his accent. His accent. And he, did he have a he, fluff he of chest hair? Coming up between a cravat kind of thing. He had a little bit of a Mediterranean look to yes. it, I'd say. But he said, he explained... So hairy them tucks. Sorry, Bob. He explained that he had had an operation to remove his wisdom teeth. His wisdom teeth. And ever since the operation... He gave really good blowjobs. He could not remember 
his life, his memory was gone. Whoa. Up until, yeah. And people ask me why I've never gone back to the dentist or had my wisdom teeth removed. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's one of those reasons. <laughs> so you believe in the urban myth that your wisdom is collected in your wisdom teeth? No, Paul, but but when I read the thing that they give you that says, that says what can happen if you have a wisdom tooth operation, yeah. it talks about nerve damage and, you know, a small number of people Not lose brain nerve sense of damage. taste. Damage to your nerves in and around your mouth, for crying Mouth, out. yeah. You might lose nerve connection to your tongue. Um, that doesn't sound That's good. That's not good. You can't control your tongue. <laughs> so I, I didn't have the operation. I still have my so wisdom teeth. So Richard still gives crap blowjobs. Right. <laughs> okay. Go on. I don't know how you know that. So Next one. He's never given a blowjob in his life. Next one. So... Where are we? I'm sorry. At the end, at the end of the gallery, at the end of the ex- exhibition, yeah. the gallery owner and his girlfriend or intern, That's some kind of Clive and I don't know what her name is, Clive and Jerrica. Jerrica, Jerrica. She's a Joy Division fan, isn't she? Yeah, she's, she's wearing. She's the, a lot uh, younger. And Anthony has t-shirt. a great blast. You know, he kind of knocks out Clive. He's like, yeah, okay. Like at least I'm not like going through all the. Undergraduates, yeah. in undergraduates that I bring along to intern for me, because the guy's also a lecturer, obviously at university, and like the other guys, like you prepared that, and Ant is like, yeah, I did, but it still counts, and it does still count, yeah. So anyway, so he's not ashamed of the fact that he's like, you know, grabbing these twenty year olds and, and you know, using them for convenient and cheap sex, okay? They didn't have to pay a professional sex worker to get the same meaningless activity several hundred dollars for. Uh, so he says, let's do it in, let's do a Jiggy Wiggy in the art gallery in front of this scary work by Anthony, who they hate. Yeah. So that's what they do. They start well, getting it on. Obviously, she says Candyman five, five times. times, looking in the mirror. And, and, she's like, and at the end, she's like, woohoo, drunken, like, you know, draping <laughs> over herself. Woohoo, you know how American women, when they woohoo and celebrate, she's like, woohoo, yeah, I'm okay. Kind of Beyonce, kind of hand, hand gesture style, flipping around, twisting around, slipping on a beer or whatever. And then seconds later, what happens, Richard? Well, she gets slashed in the neck. Yeah, gruesome. Her throat is cut and she just dies, drops dead and dies on the floor there. And interestingly, you could only see the Candyman in the mirrors. So in all the shots that are looking directly at the uh, gallery owner and his girlfriend, Jerrica, you don't see the Candyman at all. It's all happening invisibly. But then you get these mirrored shots and you see the Candyman hunting them down. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Anthony is painting with increased passion, but he's beasting. Boy, boy, is that getting bad. Real nasty stuff happening on his beasting. So, like, tracking up his arm, isn't it? And he goes to the library looking for uh, stories of Helen Mile, this lady from Caprini Green. Is this when he finds out the whole story about the bees? Yeah. Uh, And he's listening to the podcast. And the story is that they they took Sherman and they cut off his arm and stuck a hook in it. And they covered his chest with honeycomb and let bees come and sting him. Is that, is that the story? Yeah, that's right. So there's all obviously all kinds of social, uh, social, socio, socio-racial metaphors going on here, isn't there? You know, whether the belief, 
whether the bee stings or the wasp stings or the police or white society. Oh my God, Paul. Yeah. Paul, the bee was carried away by ants. Yeah. And the artist is called Ant. That's right. Yeah. My God. Okay. <laughs> so, like, there's all, there's obviously all kinds of really nice, slightly trite, but enjoyable little visual metaphors going on here. Okay. Uh, the, and the reflection, okay. The reflect, the mirror, you know, what we're saying here. We're saying oppression is an invisible syllabus, yeah, that we can only see when we reflect upon ourselves, you know. There's all kinds of little nice, little A-level or GCSE kind of insights here, isn't there? <laughs> Uh, that, it is, yeah. That aren't really supported, you know, in a serious way with argument. But as insights, they're great, you know. And so I think they really keep the movie ticking along on that double level. Like, it's horror, but it's horror for a reason. And I quite enjoyed that, you know. We've seen this with a lot of Jordan's work, isn't it? You know, it's like... Sure, yeah. Oh, what's, the one, what's the one where you run? What's it called, run? I can't remember. I'm really sorry. Get Out? Get Out, yeah, okay. But... But, you know, the metaphors, they were much more tightly controlled, but they were still there, weren't they? You know, everything was kind of like a reflection of what was happening in the story. Whereas here I like it because it's much looser and not, you know, they haven't really bothered to type all the loose ends. But in a way, it kind of works, you know. It's like this this disparate kind of feel of uh, lack of bonhomie and lack of, satisfa- lack of satisfaction, just the desperate feel of the projects kind of coalesces into this into this Candyman metaphor. So, yeah. And later on, Anthony says, well, Candyman is all of us. You know, he goes on and expands. He says, Candyman is all of us. There is no Candyman. He is all of us, yeah. And he gets very <laughs> arty about it. So, so yeah, it's explicitly explored that Candyman is a metaphor, but it's a, it's a, it's a supernatural metaphor that becomes real. Interesting, Helen, Helen, Helen Lyle originally, she was, she studied semiotics or semaphore at university, you see. So they're talking about the symbology of Candyman and how symbology can become real scary if you say it five times. So yeah, I thought it was really good fun. So what does he find out, Richard, at the library? He finds out the story of Helen Lyle. I think it's Mile, not Lyle, but it could be wrong. like that, yeah. And and about the Candyman, he also has a brief encounter in the lift, doesn't he? Where he sees the, his reflection in the ceiling of the lift, and it's the Candyman. Yes. And also, a candy drops on the lift floor, and it's got a razor blade in it. He goes to see the critic in her home, and they have a conversation where, as you say, she's sort of coming around to his work. Well, he encourages because, her partly because she knows it's a massive hit. Because it's been all over media, yeah. That these murders are occurring because of his artwork, you know, which is the same idea. You're saying that critics appraise work and and look favourably on popular works, works that have been lauded by others. Is that how critics work, Paul? I don't know, but that seems to be the suggestion in the movie. It's almost as if by exploring stories of a critic, we could examine the idea of criticism itself. Yes. Like looking into a mirror, in a way. Yes, like looking into a mirror. <laughs> it's a really versatile metaphor, isn't it, looking into a mirror? Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, so, well, Obviously, she says Candyman five times. Yeah. Obviously, she gets killed. She has to Obviously. die, doesn't she? I mean, because she's really objectionable. Uh, it's just like, oh, I really like your work now. Now people are interested in it. But I'm coming around to it myself, Yeah. 
so so yeah, she dies, and then he kind of ramps up. I don't know they they go back to the projects in the original church or something. He goes back to see uh, William, doesn't he, at some point? Oh, to say, hey, more. fuck yeah, William, what have you done to me? You know, what have you brought on? Yeah. William's telling him about multiple Candymans. Yeah. Uh, and a full story of Sherman being tortured. Yeah. Arm cut off, honeycomb bees. Hand cut off, yeah. So he's saying, like, Candyman is an expression of our oppression. It's our anger. You know, we are the spirit of Candyman kind of thing. I think he's what he's trying to get across, but maybe not as eloquently as me. And, uh, and like, well, and then Anthony realizes something. It's like, well, you know, I've got to go and see my mum and find out what I've got to do with all this. Because it seems like Candyman's really got, like, a special destiny for, 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 for Anthony to fulfill. So he goes and sees his mum back in the projects, doesn't he? He does. But just before that, there's a strange scene. Maybe not strange. I don't know. This this scene feels like it's an insert from an you know an original era Candyman slasher movie, doesn't it? Because what happens is there's a young a young woman who is a I guess a high school student or something. She was at the gallery and she saw the work and read the description and the legend about saying Candyman. Oh, and then she's at times. high school and she's getting her friends to say Candyman in the girls' toilets. In the girls' toilets. So there's like five of them, aren't there? Yeah. And they're all kind of, I suppose it's a mutual dare or whatever. Yeah. Know? In classic, all... in the classic horror movie lexicon, they are what we call disposable victims, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. It's a real old school horror movie stuff. She's slightly it? privileged and a bit, a bit objectionable. And obviously, upper middle class or quite well off, but not a good student. So she deserves to die, you know. In some way. In some way. So there's five of them, uh, or whatever, and they all do it. I think one of them chickens out halfway through. And there's a, a an innocent bystander who goes into one of the toilet cubicles. Doesn't hear it going on because she's got um, can't, noise cancelling headphones on. And so she actually sees glimpses the Candyman kind of hover. He moves like a, like a, a vampire uh, in Asia. Okay, like an Asian vampire. He, kind of he floats, hovers over the ground. Floats yeah. very, just slightly above the ground, which is exactly what they do in Asia. Obviously, he kills all the girls in the toilets in a gruesome way. Yeah. And I think it, I think that means he's sort of got a higher body count in this than he did in the original. Wow. Uh, but it, it doesn't connect very closely with the rest of the story. No, so. it doesn't. And it fails to be scary, I think. Yeah, it just feels a little bit like going through the motions, but it's kind of entertaining, I suppose. It feels like a bit of vintage kind of a hat tip, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Anyway, just before Anthony goes to... Yeah, it's, it's stylism in yeah. its pure early 90s horror. Yeah. Just before Anthony goes to his mum, goes to see his mum, his fingernail comes off. And again, that's another one of those movie things, isn't it? If your fingernail comes off, you're in a bad way, aren't you? <laughs> In the same way, we've well, got you know, a gummy finger again. <laughs> if you ever, like, I was fascinated uh, by my dad's gummy fingers because he, he, you know, he worked, he worked with nails and hammers and whatnot, constantly hitting his thumbnails. He was a carpenter for some time. Gummy fingers don't get if gummy you ever fingers. Trap your, if you trap your finger in a door or anything, and it gets bruised and goes black, I guarantee Ooh. someone will say. Oh, your nail's going to come off. <laughs> People always say that as if that's supposed to be comforting. And by the way, my nails never come off. No. So they were wrong. Uh, particularly your toenails, you'll get a double nail. You know, if you've really, mm. like, you know, when you pull your nail up, when you stub your toe, like, under the bed and, like, 
your toe oh. goes under, but your nail doesn't. You pull the whole nail off. Listeners, for this section, you, of you know, podcast. you pull your whole nail off. Okay, it's flapping. It's, <laughs> it does stay on usually, and then a second nail kind of grows up underneath it. So for about three or four months, <laughs> you've got a double nail happening. That's really difficult to cut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he does go and see his mum, played by Vanessa Williams, who was in ah. the original Candyman. And she does a bit of exposition, doesn't she? Yes. I didn't completely follow, but I think she turns was out that, that he is the baby what was abducted by Helen. Abducted. And actually, right. Helen didn't put him in the fire. Helen saved him from the fire. Actually, rescued him from yeah. the fire. But we Candyman still fire, wants him. Part of the story. You see, and that's why Candyman's on the lookout for him. And the villagers vowed never to say his name. Yeah. And then. Well, and then yeah. Anthony said, well, somebody's obviously broken that vow. Well, yeah, you just had an art exhibition asking people to say his name for crying out loud, <laughs> Honestly. Gentrification, Paul. Yeah. Isn't it? It's people not respecting the the customs of the the village that has been replaced. So then we, we hark back to the idea that the police never used to come in there except when they wanted to arrest somebody or they wanted to contain the problems in the projects. And then to the last, you know, Act 3 is like, we're in the projects well, with Anthony. Yeah, they go back. They go back to the row houses. And yeah. his wife, also, she goes to the laundromat as well. Yeah. And there's quite a cool bit where his wife goes in. Because she opens a door and it's a set of stairs leading down to a dark basement. Mm-hmm. And it's your classic horror trope moment where, you know, obviously you're expecting she's going to go down and get killed or something. But she look, takes one look at this basement, shuts the door, and says, "Nope." Yeah. <laughs> so we get a re- you know the, the next fifteen minutes is a, re- a reworking of that whole thing they talked about the not the cops not coming in. The cops are circling, and we don't really see the cops come in until they have to right at the end. Sorry, Rich. Go. I was going to say, by the way, "Nope." Of course, is the name of Jordan Peele's latest movie. So she finds that William has captured. Uh, Anthony. And she gets captured as well, right? He captures both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. She, she comes to, tied to a chair, and Anthony is opposite her, sort of tied down as well. And William brutally chops off Anthony's hand, which is probably for the best because it was looking pretty scabby. And he shoves a hook into the stump. That was strange. What did he do that for? Because he knows that the Candyman is coming for, for Anthony. No, he seems to think that they need the Candyman to avert, to avoid gentrification. Like Candyman uh, is like their talisman, their saviour. Yeah, okay. Well, Brianna makes her escape. She wriggles out of the bindings in the seat, runs down the tunnels. William chases her. And she manages to kill William, doesn't she, at some point? Yeah. And Ant arrives, but he's in a bad way and he collapses. And um, the police come in on the scene. And again, you know, after all this supernatural horror, you're thinking it turns out that the police are the the real bad guys here because she tries to plead with them, but they just shoot Anthony Anthony and arrest her. And then they say to her, look, okay, something happened back there. And, you know, depending on what you say, we might be viewing you as an accomplice or yeah. we might not. 
So it's yeah, about did the, Anthony lunge at the cop. So again, we we're coming him. back to this idea of a hidden, invisible curriculum of oppression that either is developers or police. Maybe it's not conscious, but Candyman is like you know uh, a semi-justified violent reaction from the black movie from from, from the black community against this unconscious hate and oppression that they're experiencing. So it's interesting, I thought, the way that they made these metaphors come alive. So she does a deal with the cop. She says, I'll say that. I'll say whatever you want as long as I can see myself in the mirror. That was a really well-acting moment. As long as I can see myself in the mirror I thought it was a really well-acting moment. We got got a sense of just, you know, the Kafka-esque kind of everyday downtrodden aspect of continuous oppression of communities where you just you just eventually accede in and she's so deflated and so defeated you know it's not it's not an easy decision she makes and that was for me one of the most real and touching moments of the movie anyway yeah sorry. but she's not complying is she no she's lying the cop, yeah, yeah. she he, the cop moves the mirror so that she can see herself and she of course says Candyman five times the cop's going Guess what are you what? saying Anthony comes back as the new Candyman as the new installment of the Candyman he kills the cop inside the building. She comes out of the car and he's killing the other cop now, the one that was in the car with her. In this sense, and Anthony's been set free. You know. That is the end of the movie. In a way, then, Candyman is sort of the folk hero of the story. He is, yeah, okay. So a downtrodden and oppressed he's, victim of torture. He's not the symbol of white oppression or police oppression. He's the opposite. He's, you know, a violent equaliser, supernatural equaliser, that, you know, is a result of that oppression. So, yeah. So, he's the folk hero. Yeah. He's, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, that kind of goody-baddy in other kind of folk stories. And I do think we have him, don't we? Oh. Like Dick Turpin or yeah, Dick Turpin. Robin or maybe- Hood in a way. But definitely Robin Hood, but he's he's much he's much he's much more essentially a good character than Candyman, isn't he? Uh, I mean, Candyman's pretty terrifying. But yeah, Robin Hood, yeah, def- Dick Turpin, definitely. Okay, Dick Turpin, mm. and therein lies one of the weaknesses of the story, mm. and the other being the bee sting. I, mean, I suppose it's symbolic of him being. But if we, I don't understand how the bee sting figures in all of this. I don't know. It would be better if we, if we made it racial and called it wasp, a wasp thing, wouldn't it? Because then we could have <laughs> white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, you know, and make it yeah. explicit. Yeah. Uh, yes, I see. But then, of course, wasps don't die when they sting, so we wouldn't see the ants carting. Well, apparently, I have heard that more wasps die when they sting you than bees, like in terms of species. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. But maybe not the commoner garden yellow jacket Wasp, no, or it does Garden, it's, honeybee. The honeybee does die. I'm saying, yeah, to it, a thing. Those those examples, I think, may run counter to the predominance of those species. Hey, Paul, tell me to the scores for Candyman. Yeah, let's go then. Okay. Uh, so, what about the plot? Did you enjoy the plot? Did you enjoy the kind of uh, montage, kind of exposition? Uh, reworking of the original. Did you enjoy the kind I did. of extending metaphor? I, didn't, I, I liked that it's more thoughtful than average. I didn't totally follow the backstory. I think maybe 
maybe there are references to the original movie that I would, you know, it would benefit me to have rewatched the original. Yeah. Or maybe some of the sequels in between even. Because I think that might be why there's multiple Candy Men. I don't know. <laughs> Although the original Candyman was in this, you know. Wow. They youthed him. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, and there's a lot of references. Um, I wasn't totally persuaded by the bee thing and the the way the, the stories mirror. interact and why. The mirror's cool. The mirror stuff is cool. It's like an anti-vampire, isn't he? It can only be seen in mirrors. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what is his motivation? Didn't totally get it. Didn't totally buy it. The know. bee sting I, and the hand cutting. I mean, they're not all symbols, I guess, of some kind of oppression. Class and race oppression, aren't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. And the mirror, I don't know what, what reflection we're being asked to do here. Uh, but it, that's all interesting metaphor stuff. And I thought that generally worked. I like the fuzzy wuzziness of Candyman's supernaturality, uh, the way it wasn't very tightly defined. I think that works for kind of schlock horror movies. And so they retained enough of the 90s schlock horror movie, I think, for it to keep its atmosphere and to keep. You know, and to keep those aspects of it whilst at the same time being very much a self aware 2021-2022 movie that wants to say a bit more than a horror movie and wants to be a bit more than a horror movie. So, yeah. Totally. I'll give it a seven for plot overall. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to have a little bit weaker. I'm going to say six for plot. Oh. How about the acting? Oh, really good here. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Anthony played by. Uh, uh, a guy whose name I can't remember, but he was in Us, the other Jordan. He Peele was in Us, Us, yeah, and he's got a really impressive drawline and stubble. Anthony was played by Yaha Abdul Mateen II, who was also in Us. And he was very impressive in both. Well, I'm going to score the acting uh, a resounding nine. I was very impressed with the acting. I'll give it an eight for acting. Yeah. Well, I thought they're all good. Okay, we have to move on to shocks and horror. Yeah. Although it wasn't explicitly a slasher or a horror film. I mean, the horror came slowly. Weakness here is it's not particularly scary. It's not scary, no. But maybe it's not supposed to be. Maybe that's not what you're getting out of a horror these days. I don't know. I'll, I'll go for a six. I don't think it was supposed to be scary, but I did think it built up quite nicely. And I wanted to know the outcome of all the horror, you see. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it is supposed to be scary, scary anymore, as it was supposed to look at how the horror is constructed and what it all means, maybe. Yeah. So I thought it still kind of worked. I'm going to score it a seven for the horror. I mean, I did love the fact that the police are scarier than the monster. That's Yeah, the police were really scary. Okay. Menacing. Recent events. Uh, so it all tied in quite nicely. And, and then what? I don't know if we're a final, for a final category. I don't really know where to go here. Well, it's a sort of moody, like, arty thing, isn't it? It so is, yeah. Mood. We can give it a mood score. The mood, I think, is maybe its strongest point. I'm going to score it an eight. Absolutely right. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. It's strongly evocative of the era of movies. But at the same time, also, it's a bit of a thinky piece. Yeah. Hmm. Overall, final scores. Well, I'm still I'm torn between seven point five and eight. I'm gonna go for eight. I, I did actually really enjoy this. Also, it's mercifully brief compared to most modern movies. It's nineties length. Okay, it's only ninety minutes long. Which once you've get, got rid of the titles, means you've only got eighty minutes of movie to watch, which is such a relief and so fresh compared to most movies these days. 
Hmm. Uh, I I think eight is a bit too much for me. I'll go yeah. seven just because. Yeah. It's it, not his best, it, is it? Well, it's not his actually. It's not. It, yeah. Also, it makes me want to explore the previous films a little bit, and it makes me want to listen to podcasts that, and that leaves did. you unsatisfied. Yeah, there's something slightly unsatisfying about it as a whole, but it's, it's not, not complete bad. in itself. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. So it recommends both sides of us. Actually, we've not had a real duffer for a while, have we? Okay. We need to pick something that we're going to score badly, I think. Okay. But it does bring us on to Richard, our next week's yes. choice. So are you going to present yes. me with something? Is it my go to do that again? Probably. Who cares? Listen, Paul, if you want something bad, look no further than the movie. Rated as the worst ever on Netflix, Interceptor. <laughs> okay, I don't know if it's still available, but I'll note it down. Interceptor, yeah. There is also possibly Nope, Jordan Peele's Whoa. latest horror, which I don't know whether it's on at the cinema. I just said that, like without. Even I'm checking thinking. now. Yeah. And then, well, uh, we could do Escape Room Two, couldn't we? We did Escape Rooms in the last season. Why not? Yeah. Why not enter escape rooms once again? Okay. Right. Well, imagine you're like at the top of Helvellyn with no map. Richard, I'm not. Closing in. I'm not going to hold you in suspense. You're, I've made my decision. You're down to your last bit of Kendall Mint cake. I've, I've made my decision, Richard, with or without Kendall Mint cake. Okay. Nope. These are not movies. It's going to be nope. Okay. We'll see it for next week. Nope. Mm-hmm. What? It's on the movies. Some of the movies right now. Oh fuck. Okay. When am I going to go and see that? Oh, you've given me a challenge, Paul. I like it. Well, then, until the next time. Yes, until the next time. When we'll be hopefully watching Nope. Goodbye from us. It's ciao for now. See you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.